Welcome to this episode of the Connection Podcast. We are super excited to share this interview with Mona Blair and, and several of her friends that got together today. So a lot of cool things covered today. We we did talk about the story of her daughter Sarah's cancer diagnosis and the effect that that had on their family. We also dive into some important topics, including how to be comfortably uncomfortable and also the importance of following promptings, particularly in the context of our callings at church. I think you're going to love this episode. We do have a few more coming down the pipe as well. We have already completed an interview with Abram Gallup after he returned home from his mission and I'm in the process of editing that. So that should be coming out this week as well. And then we have some interviews coming pretty soon. So excited about everything that will be featured on the show sooner than later. For now, enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and we have a long-awaited guest with us today, Ramona Blair. <laughs> A.K.A. Mona Blair. I hope there's some editing there. There's some <laughs> oh, I'm kind of glad we're at the other end of the table from each other. Um, all right. Yeah, I, I deserve whatever's coming to me. And uh, Hillary Admires here joining us. Hi there. And Tina Marchant. That's good to be here. And Camille Keister. Hi. So I wanted to get us started here today. I did want to let you guys know, some people were wondering what the prize is for next month. And we did come up with something. Uh, this might be a hot take announcement in front of Camille, but we are going to do a Yeti water bottle, specifically President Fuller's favorite Yeti water bottle. And we're going to name it the uh, Yeti of Great Refreshment in reference to Sean Stockford's <laughs> episode. So that is that is not something you can buy. It is only it can only be one, and we're going to give probably around four out, something like that, over the next month or so, just to random people who share the show. Uh, we also have a new sticker designed by Henry Fuller, and we're going to unveil that in the next few weeks too. So super excited about that. Let's get started on the show today. So Mona. Numbers are growing a bit. We're we're expanding. We have a lot of people in the stake and some people outside of the stake listening to the podcast. So not everybody knows you, although a lot of us that'll listen to this episode do. I want you to think hypothetically you're you're going into a new ward. Hopefully you never do until we move and then you can. Um, but so we're super good friends with the Blairs, by the way. So that'll probably be evident as we go on and talk. But um, imagine you're in a new ward, you're asked to give a talk, and you're kind of just giving a brief into on you, your family, where you grew up, where you're at now, and go. Okay. <clears throat> I grew up in Ashland down in Southern Oregon. I moved here in 2003 to go to college and met Kirk after I finished college at the singles ward. And Kirk grew up here in Springfield. And many people know him and know that he likes to talk and talk and talk, right? And when I first met Kirk, I thought he was so irritating and so annoying, and I didn't like him at all. But then come to find out he talks more when he's nervous. <laughs> but everybody knows how great Kirk is. So we've been married 13 years, and we have four kids. Awesome. And... I wanted to let's just let's just dive in here, guys, because we have a lot to talk about. So um, obviously, you know, I, I think that people who know the Blairs, they've been through quite a few 
you know, changes in their life the last few years, been a lot of things. And they, they also just, I mean, on top of Kirk talking a lot, because yeah, I agree, although less when you kind of get to know him, right? <laughs> but uh, they just they, they just know so many things and, and are involved in so many interesting things in their lives. So we'll, we'll get into it here. Uh, Hillary, why don't you lead us off? What do you want to talk to Mona more about? Yeah. So I think the first question that I wanted to ask you about was um, one of your answers here about if time wasn't an issue and how you would spend each day. What do you, What would you do and how would you do it? If time weren't an issue, I would want more one-on-one time with each of my kids. Being a mom means that you parent four different ways for four different kids. And it's so hard to meet all of their needs all the time. Michael likes one-on-one time where we don't even really like talk about stuff. I just like sit and scratch his back and that's it. That's all he really wants. In general, Michael will share with me anything that's on his mind at other times, which I like. Emmy really likes uh, going to do stuff. And she likes being very affectionate, which is very hard for me because I have two <laughs> kids younger than her who are more affectionate simply because they're younger. I have Mary who wants to be held still. She's four and she wants to play with my hair while she sucks her thumb. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, sometimes I say, she'll, you know, she'll come up behind me and she's playing with my hair and I'll say, whoever is touching me has to stop right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who it is. <laughs> And so when you're trying to cram all that in after school, before bed, while you're making dinner and doing all these other things, it's easy to just push aside that one-on-one time so that you can actually sit down and have dinner. You know, it's just hard to have enough minutes to do all of the things that you want to do. Are you able to do it often enough? Like, I mean, obviously, like you wish that you could have more time to do that, but like, how do you make that? I guess a better way to phrase that is how do you make that work as much as possible. Ugh, that's hard. I mean, sometimes you don't realize it until one of your kids l- has like really bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. Sarah was just on a hair trigger yesterday. Everything <laughs> put her into tears. And I knew that just sitting down and reading some books with her and just listening to her tell me about what's on her mind would help her. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I think they, yeah. no, I was just to say, they, I, that's such a battle when you are parenting. And I know, especially too, as a working mom, to then have to turn a million different directions at the same time is very hard. You mentioned too, like having more time with Kirk. And I feel like sometimes in this phase of life, husbands kind of just get the back burner. <laughs> uh, every day. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> so what? what's something that you and Kirk have been able to do recently that felt meaningful? You know, now that we have an 11-year-old in our house, we don't have to pay a babysitter Game to go changer. out to eat. Yeah. Or to go play golf or to go spend some time together or even just like just run an errand. You know, we don't have to make arrangements to bring kids or we can, you know, leave three kids and take one to have some one-on-one time. Oh, cool. So that's helpful. Yeah. But that, that balance of like being a good mom or being a good wife and partner is hard. I struggle with that every day. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I I can completely relate. I got things to say about too, because I, I do feel a lot of the urgency, especially when you're a busy parent 
and you know you come home your kids are fighting i don't know maybe it's just our house probably not right and there's so much just anxiety and urgency revolving around resolving that conflict right away when in reality you know that each individual kid you know needs something different from you you know for us it's like levi I, I just know how his brain works. He kind of goes into reptile brain mode and I need to get him out of the situation and calmly talk with him about what's going on. You know, Owen, totally different situation. Camille could talk more about, you know, how he, what he needs usually when there's some conflict. A lot of time for him, you know, it's, he needs, he needs love. He needs to um, maybe have things explained to him a little bit better. But neither of those can happen when you have two kids that are screaming at each other. <laughs> but sometimes it feels like we're so time starved that we do just have to whatever. I'm just going to react in a way and, and try to yell over these people, these humans, so that like somehow things will stop. So I don't know. It's just it, what you're saying I relate to. And it, I'm kind of thinking myself like, how can I maybe um, reflect on this and, and focus on their individual needs better going forward? So. Yeah, if you want to see the worst examples of my parenting, you need to come over at bedtime. And that is so frequently when Kirk is getting home late from work and he sees the worst of me, like the best parts are used up and gone, you know, the yeah. patient the patient parts and the really kind, you know, let's talk about it parts. No, those are done. <laughs> oh, That's like that witching hour, that hour right before dinner when like... I swear all the culmination of everything bad in a child comes out like all at once and you're trying to cook dinner and it's so crazy. And Alan would come home at that time and he'd be like, did you have a bad day today? It's like, no, I actually had a really good day today. Just the bad last hour. Like, it's gone now. All that good stuff is gone. And it doesn't matter how much like talk you do beforehand. Yeah. Like we will often, we tried the whole pep talk thing. Like remember how bad bedtime went last night? <laughs> 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 Let's not last year. Let's not yeah. <laughs> and then they'll just agree to these things that they totally break the like <laughs> as bedtime approaches. So. Yeah, I was gonna say Owen does better if I talk to him about his behavior the next morning. Like, yeah, oh yeah, as In bad the moment. as it was, like on the way to school, which is just a short little trip. I'm like, hey, last night was pretty bad. Let's not do that again. And like, it'll be good for you know another two weeks until he. Sure. Goes Turns into a 10-year-old again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about – it's weird in the position I'm in now because Andrew's a senior in high school. And it's just starting to realize, like, all my kids are two years apart. So it feels very like this is the end of them living at home, which is a, a totally different experience. So thinking about, like, spending more one-on-one -on -one time with them now feels almost panicked. Like you were talking mm -hmm. like like, I am running out of time. And that's <laughs> a weird feeling. Um, to think about but it is also really cool like to see them becoming more more adults and they're having their own friends and their own social lives and they have their own places to go and like part of me is like oh that's so cool and part of me is like wait I want to go <laughs> I want to hang out with you I want to come yeah that's cool well I we haven't done this in a little while but I I love hearing people just talk about their partner too and and honestly in all our time hanging out or hundreds of hours hanging out um, I haven't asked you this, but what what is it that you like about Kirk? What what makes him unique that you just love? Oh, Kirk is such a solid person, and he is a go-to guy for countless people. 
we have this neighbor down the street who will borrow tools like randomly a few times a year. He doesn't even know Kirk's first name. He just knows that Kirk is this friendly guy. Sometimes he's out in the garage (laughs) and Kirk is just generous with what he has and he's generous with his time. There have been countless Saturdays where that's the one day available to work on something. And somebody will call and need help with something and he will stop what he's doing and he will go and help them, you know, at the sacrificing his own time and to go do that. Awesome. And honestly, a lot of us see that too. I remember when you guys moved into the ward and, you know, Alan was still bishop and we were talking about, well, the Blairs are coming in. And I'm like, I want to be friends with that guy. <laughs> and, it, and you don't have to worry about anybody else. I'm just going to meet him and make him my friend. And so I kind of coerced him into that, and it was it was great. <laughs> you dangled and the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> they like became friends, and then Jason's like, "I think you need to meet Mona." And like, I re- I just remember, I think it was like a um, Super Bowl party, and you're sitting on the couch, and I heard you like golf, and I didn't have any other people that I knew that golfed, and so I just remember like kind of an awkward like, let's say hi and see if we can golf sometime and you're like yeah let's do it in the spring and come springtime you like actually call me and like (laughs) (laughs) you kept your word (laughs) and yeah it's been fun times ever since you know what man like honestly i'm trying so hard in life now to be the guy who actually calls when you say let's hang out (laughs) it sounds like a stupid thing but isn't that something that we just do as like middle-aged people we like hang out in a group and like oh we should hang out sometime and you never do yeah that's like my goal the next 10 years is to be the dude that calls back and is like okay we said we hang out let's go i like that a lot um Let's let's keep going, guys. I like that conversation. Tina, what do you want to talk about? I wanted to hear more about um, Mona's baking because if you've never had Mona's pies, you are missing out. Because Mona's come to our house a couple too. times, and like there was an extra pie left over. It didn't last till the morning. Like it was gone. Our, this is this Pies, is true. Cakes, cookies. In our house, like our kids have gotten to be really discriminating. Like we'll have a pie or a cake or something in our house, and they'll look at it and they'll say, "Like, wait, who made this?" Because <laughs> because there's like two people. We'll say if it was Yana Grossnickel or if it was Mona Blair. They're like, "Oh, okay." Plate comes out. Doesn't matter what time of day. Could be breakfast, whatever. <laughs> like, Yeah, so how did, how did you get into that, Mona? I have always loved to bake. I mean, I was making cookies by myself when I was like eight. Then nice. I look back and really think, you know, maybe my parents weren't paying really close attention to let me have that much freedom <laughs> in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, there, it's something that is very um, exacting and that I can control the outcome mm-hmm. of read between the lines there that I'm a little bit neurotic and (laughs) type A. So that is something that I like about the process of baking is I know that I can follow these steps and I will have this result that's going to happen. When I was graduating or when I had graduated from college, I was still in Ashland and I was needing a job. And I had friends who worked at a bakery. It was called the Apple Cellar. And I am so sad that it is out of business now. So I started doing counter sales. So there were sandwiches and there were hot items and these from scratch pastries and cakes. I mean, this place was just decadent. It was so good. And they had one of their cake decorators leaving. 
And so they were trying to just ask if anybody was interested in learning how to decorate cakes and to bake. And I raised my hand really high. (laughs) (laughs) First in line. So when I was there, I did just cake baking, but it was like this, you know, it was like a 60 quart mixer Mm -hmm. where some of the batter, you have a hand scraper and you are mixing like up to your elbow chocolate ganache or mousse or something. And it was fun. And that's a nice skill just to have in my back pocket for. Yeah. (laughs) So what is your, what's your favorite thing to bake then? I like to make pie and then I really like to make cookies. I make cookies all the time. Do you do any like French baking or do you keep it to like the classic? No, simple stuff. I love that so much. Simple stuff that I I have time for. But when you master it though. She's a master though. I was going to say like when you, when you have, when you found your niche and you master it, then that's like better than you know you shouldn't expand beyond what your expertise is right (laughs) like if you're good at it keep doing it right I don't know yeah (laughs) that's awesome okay well now I know I've never I don't think I've ever had no you did make me chocolate chip cookies once I do remember those (laughs) those were really good but I'm gonna have to peg you for a pie Mm -hmm. I'm excited about this Mm -hmm. that's awesome that's really cool. My question is, do you feel the same way about cooking as you do about baking? Mm. Are they separate or like they kind of run together? <sighs> no, I, I like to cook a lot. And when I first, you know, was married and had like one child and then two, I still made everything from scratch. I liked, you know, that hour that it took to make a nice sit down dinner and anymore, it's like, okay, so I have jarred spaghetti sauce and some hamburger. <laughs> and we are either going to have spaghetti or lasagna. And no matter what I make, one of my kids is going to complain about something. <laughs> so true. So I tend to make, you know, kind of plain, like meals that you can deconstruct. Mm-hmm. You know, Emmy is really, really picky, but really healthy at the same time. So it's challenging. Oh. So someday... I'll make spaghetti sauce from scratch again, but <laughs> it's going to be a few years. I'm, I'm kind of opposite. Like, I'm re- I really like the cooking, and I can just, like, open the fridge, and I really like that challenge of what can I make with what's in here, you know? Like, that's really interesting to me. I have a lot of fun in the kitchen. Lately, my kids have realized, and I have realized, that they don't really know how to make anything. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it's that they're leaving home soon kind of thing. So we've we've adopted everybody's picking a day of the week, and they, they are learning to cook some things. And that's really hard for me to give up, like, my space. Like, every time I'm in the kitchen with them, I'm like, you're just in my way. But also, I love it, too. Like, and it's a good thing for them to learn. And so it's hard to kind of put that together, but I'm trying to teach myself to bake. I've always liked baked goods, but I'm actually really horrible. If you ask my <laughs> seminary class, they're like, it's like, it's either gooey and undercooked or it's burnt. Like every time I bring something, I was like, I swear I did everything right. So I'm still, so I'm, a, I'm a recovering baker. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that, Tina, though. For me, it's like Camille style. She's like Eric Clapton and I'm like Jimi Hendrix as far as it goes. Like, I, I'm better for cooking because I'm like, why can't these two things go together? Boom. You know, which works in cooking a lot of the time, but yeah. in baking, you have to be precise or you'll have a very bad outcome. Kind of like dental hygiene. Mona, by the way, she, Mona is a dental hygienist, which is different from a dental assistant, which I mistakenly said, yeah. <laughs> 
And she kindly corrected me on that. <laughs> when I was in high school, our dentist, who is, he was in our ward, and he was a good family friend. He's still a good friend of my dad's. His dental office was across the street from the high school. And at the end of my freshman year, he needed somebody to come in at the end of the day to do sterilization, which was a perfect fit. It was one of those jobs that has to be done correctly. And for the most part, there's only one way to do it. So that really sparked my interest in in working in the dental field. I knew that being a dentist wasn't something that interested me because there was too many things to become good at, too many different procedures. And I know that you can specialize in one thing or another, but even in those specialties, there's still so much that you have to know. So I didn't want that, nor did I want the responsibility of owning a business or being that busy. So hygiene was a good fit for having a family and doing something that was very meticulous. Can you tell us more just about, a lot of us don't know. I mean, clearly, like, clearly I've clarified that you're a hygienist and, and not a dental assistant. But, you know, I, I think a lot of us don't know exactly what that career path kind of entails and, and what your day-to-day would look like. But what what is your work like? What do you do? So I clean people's teeth is the easy answer. Uh, The more expanded answer is that I get to have people have a healthy mouth. And there is a lot of self-esteem that goes into how people's teeth look and how that makes them feel. Mm. And I get to help people feel good. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I think, and it does matter a lot to us, honestly, like personal experience, you know, you could have high blood pressure, any other kind of health issue, pneumonia, you'd walk around with it and let it go. But it, man, if you chip a tooth, it's like, forget that noise <laughs> <laughs> or any kind of dental issue, you know, it's just like, you know, it it is super important. And I think you go into something too, which I I know from you and, and from Bishop Raven too, it's, it's like... Yeah, there's the health aspect to it, but I think also just like being able to smile and be okay with that, it's such a key part of just our like social and human existence. There's a lot of fear wrapped up in dentistry also. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stems from childhood for most people. We tend to find that kids get their fear of the dentist from their mom, who is their primary caregiver. So it's kind of a learned thing that they're nervous about. So being able to help people, you know, overcome that fear or just be less nervous. Some people are always going to be nervous when they come in, no matter what, but helping them to have a better experience is nice too. That's awesome. That's awesome. What do you enjoy the most out of your work? I know we kind of got into the little bit, but what, what kind of keeps you coming back? I like to see people healthy. I like to have patients on repeat, you know, every four to six months or sometimes every three months, whatever it takes to have people that are healthy. And seeing people when they're healthy is the goal, which is a hard uh, mindset to shift from just coming in every six months because that is what insurance covers. But when has insurance ever covered everything that we need? Never. (laughs) Awesome. I had a question for you and maybe for any of the moms who are, you know, doing volunteerism or work or anything like that outside the home, is is work a recharge for you or is it one more thing you have to do that drains you when you do go home and kind of take care of everything else in the household? 
Uh, working for me is it, it makes me a better mom because I burn out 100% on being home all day, every day. I need that change of pace. I need something where I feel like my brain is actually working <laughs> to <laughs> do something. Yeah. yeah, I get to talk with grownups. And I, you know, for me, it's very fulfilling to be able to get out of the house and awesome. Yeah, have something uh, that I love to do. I'm curious, what do the other moms here think? For me, it's it's been both. I've definitely had moments or times as like a working mom where it is that yeah, <laughs> mental stimulation, escape, all of that. But I would say that the last like last couple of years, I think it has felt more like just something else to do. But I will have moments where there will be like a, a project that is a little bit um, out of my norm, and that's when I feel that spark again. It's like okay, yeah, this is fun. This is this is why I like working. But the monotonous parts of my job, it's like okay, yeah, this is just. Checking boxes, something to get done. So I think that what I miss from my job, though, and what I'm kind of jealous hearing you talk about with your work is being able to actually, like, see how you're helping people. Mm. I just I, – I work behind a screen. You know, I don't talk to people very often other than the team that I work with. And so, like, seeing the impact that my work makes is fairly limited. So being able to just and, – and honestly, I like to talk. So just being able to have a conversation – I mean – you know, how do you have really have a big conversation <laughs> with tools in your mouth? But you still like I've had great conversations with my hygienist. So it, it happens, right? Like so anyway, I think that that sounds like a really fulfilling part of working and being able to build relationships and help people feel that confidence that you talked about. Like, oh man, that sounds awesome. I kind of want to go to be a hygienist now. <laughs> I <don't. I'm> <laughs> I was going to say something about Mona is um, like one thing I was really nervous about, like when we first went on our golf, our first golf date, I was like, how do I hold a conversation? Like what, what kind of questions? Like I was looking things up, like how to, like what questions I could ask for, like to have a conversation, but like Mona, the hygienist in her came out and it was just like very easy <laughs> to talk to her because she just would ask questions. And even now she's still like, we'll tell you a story or I don't know. It's just something like she's very easy to have a conversation with. And I really enjoy that about her because awesome. I don't have to think of a, like a topic. I never feel like an awkward quietness when I'm sitting with Mona. Uh, Camille, what did you want to get into? Do we want to turn and go <clears throat> serious? Uh, we could go serious. It, we're it's <laughs> what about time. For? <laughs> it's about time to go serious. I think. Let's. I guess let's just dive into Sarah's cancer. It was a bad day. It was a bad day. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's. Let's. Yeah. Let's. Let's step back. So <laughs> we'll give it a little context. So that. I, I think the talking about Sarah's cancer diagnosis is definitely important for sure. For those who don't know you, can you kind of give us a little context and, and the story behind kind of Sarah's diagnosis? And Sure. So at the time, my youngest was two. Sarah, who had cancer, she was four. And then Emmy was six and Michael was nine. So my kids are still young, you know, definitely needing mom, can't be home alone kind of thing. And no other symptoms besides noticing that Sarah had one calf bigger than the other. So we took her to the doctor and an x-ray showed a tumor on her fibula, which is the skinny bone on the outside of your shin. And it was up close to her knee. 
And her oncologist said that is a very common reason that kids go in to get an x-ray is that something looks swollen but isn't hurting. So from that day on, it was definitely a whirlwind. (laughs) It was uh, spring break. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. We had actually been at Tina's house for dinner like two or three days before we took Sarah in. And she was just running and jumping. And I mean, she'd been on the trampoline. She'd been riding her balance bike and her scooter, tumbling all over the furniture, you know, all the normal things. Nothing hurt. No symptoms. And I, can you tell us about the moment that you actually get the diagnosis and just help us understand what's going on in your head and and just everything in that situation? Well, of course, the first thing you think is that my child is going to die. You don't think a lot of good things about childhood cancer. There was a lot of things that had to be done before we had an official diagnosis that would give us her prognosis. So after the x-ray was done, our our kid's pediatrician called up to Dornbecker in Portland, which is part of OHSU, and within two hours, I mean, we hadn't even left the parking lot yet of the pediatrician's office, Sarah's oncologist was talking to me personally, walking me through all of the things that were going to be happening in the next several days. We were going to Dornbecker the next day to have a biopsy done. And then she had to have a sedated MRI. And then she needed to have a sedated PET scan. And then anticipating that it was going to be a cancer diagnosis, she had a small surgery where they placed a chemo port under her skin on her chest. And then we got this diagnosis that it was cancer in her leg. And I mean, within 10 days of finding out that she had cancer, she started chemo already. So I was gone instantly from my home. I had two kids in elementary school, and then I still had a two-year-old at home. My kids were not accustomed to daycare. And so it was a scramble, and it was so stressful finding childcare all the time. And you feel guilty about asking these people for all of this help all the time. So when we got Uh, Sarah's test results back, her oncologist used a word that was very powerful and gives you a lot of hope. And she said, Sarah's cancer is curable. It was caught early. It hadn't spread. She wasn't having any other symptoms like fevers or weight loss, um, no coughing, like there were tumors that had spread into her lungs. You know, she just had this spot on her leg that had to be taken care of. And so treatment for her was 30 weeks of chemo and a surgery, of course, to remove that tumor and part of the bone where that was located. Knowing that her cancer was something that we were going to have a good outcome with helped get through the really, really crappy days (laughs) that we had of stressing about bills and staying on top of just paying those bills, even if we had money to pay them, just being organized, wanting my other kids to feel like they're not forgotten and trying to help them have normal things to do, but things that also made life hard. You know, like both of my kids were signed up and just starting a soccer season. So I wanted them to be able to still do that because I knew that they weren't going to be able to necessarily just 
go to whatever friend's house they wanted after school. It was going to be hard to make those social connections outside of school if they didn't have something like their soccer practice to go to, just to give them something else to think about and something else to do. <laughs> Man, there's so many. I, hopefully we, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about, you know, different kind of areas where this impacted your life. Um, definitely let, let's make this a group conversation because I, I have a lot of questions. I'm sure you guys do too. But one thing you and I were talking about, Mona, before the show is, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, especially maybe people that weren't intimately involved in the situation, look at you and Kirk and they're like, how, how did you guys just keep it together? How are you so strong and, and apparently unshaken by something terrible happening? And, and we didn't even get into the fact that you were dealing with your own health issues leading up to this. But, you know, someone who knows you closer you can't always keep it together, right? <laughs> and and so my my first question for you was, how did you not keep it together sometimes? Oh, and and I, ugh, yeah, I cried almost the whole drive to Portland every time I left my other kids, and every time Sarah had to have her port accessed. They had a numbing cream that we would use, but it never seemed to work very well. Her port always bothered her. Like if you bumped it, you know, with your thumb when you're helping her put on a, a T-shirt or something, it would make her cry. And so we would go. And she had to have her port accessed each time we were there for her to get chemo, which was week after week after week. And knowing it was coming she just sat so calmly until the moment that she knew it was coming and then she would cry and i would look at how brave she was sitting and knowing that she had this procedure coming that she was going to hate and that it was going to hurt her and i <laughs> cried every single time she had her port access you know nobody likes to see their kids in pain and knowing that it just has to keep happening is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, something that was eye-opening was that cancer was harder on my other kids than it was for Sarah. <clears throat> she had that port placement and the port access, you know, that always bothered her. And after about the first, like, five weeks of her chemo, she had really good nausea control. So for her to go and get chemo, she felt fine. Mm. And so it was rewarding for her to have to go to Portland. Mm. She got mom all to herself. She got special snacks because the hospital food is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would make her something that fortunately she was happy to eat, you know, four or five days in a row that we were there. She would have lasagna for dinner five nights in a row. Or we would make these peanut butter noodles and she would have those oh. five nights in a row. Or she'd be happy sometimes with like flip yogurts, you know, things mm. that we don't normally have at home. I'm not going to buy like a $1.89 yogurt oh for gosh. all of my kids every day, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. no. it's too much. No. She got to watch her tablet pretty much as much as she wanted. That was still COVID precautions at Dornbecker. And mm. so we were not supposed to be in the hallways. We were wearing masks, of course. There was a playroom, but you had to make 
uh, like a reservation to go use it. And even then you're there for an hour and you're (laughs) trying to control what she's touching because everything has to be sanitized, you know, after she's been in there. So and then there was cable, which she thought was super cool, even though, you know, we have all these (laughs) streaming things at home. Cable is always so much better in the hotel. I don't know why, yeah. but it's like they have 100%. the office on. Hundred <laughs> percent. But then for my other three kids, they were at home. They were getting, you know, shuffled from place to place to place and eating these foods that they wouldn't ordinarily eat. But it's like this is dinner. This is what's for dinner. You have to eat this. You cannot eat cereal. Again, you need to, (laughs) please try it. Please just at least try it. You know, always that struggle, you know, even if it's food that I made, you know, so people are bringing. Because you had a bunch of well-meaning people that were bringing you food, right? But then it's like, it's so foreign for the kids. Yes, and people show love with food. I am so guilty of this. And I, you know, people are bringing over like a nine by 13 and a side dish and a dessert all the time. (laughs) Let me just and say, from like, my perspective, was that was not a problem because we we found a way to be in their house when they had food. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's funny. So I, I remember, oh, though, ahead. I remember a conversation with you at some point in the middle of the chemo. And I remember asking, like, what can I bring? And you're like, just like spaghetti. Yeah. Like, yeah. just bring <laughs> something simple. And I was like, okay, done. Like, and I that was that. one of their favorite dinners <laughs> yes. brought over. That or like rotisserie chicken and a bag of salad. I remember that. You know, like right. very simple things mm-hmm. were yeah. what they would eat the most. Mm-hmm. So do your kids, like now that you guys are past this, like do they ever talk about that time and how they felt during that time or have they kind of just moved past it with everything else? <clears throat> they seem like they have pretty much moved past it. The only one who still seems like there's some residual funkiness going on is with Sarah. She gets really panicky sometimes if she doesn't know where I am. Mm-hmm. When we were at the hospital, I could only leave her room if she was sleeping beyond that. I mean, she was only four and she had all these, you know, nurses coming and going and all this stuff, you know, going into her body. She is not snuggly and she's not affectionate, but she likes to know where I'm at. Mm. And so still sometimes I see that come out in her where she starts to really worry. Like if I, if we were at the hospital and she woke up from a nap and I was like in the bathroom, it was screaming and crying and anxiety. Mm. Oh, sweet girl. Until she saw my face. <laughs> oh, man. And that's hard, too, because it's not like you can, like, use the bathroom with the door open because you never know who's coming in. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, that's so hard. Oh, man. <laughs> Tell us a bit, because um, I noticed, like, before Sarah had cancer, she was this sh- super shy little girl. And then after all her chemo and everything was done, she's like... Oh, she's a new kid. She's a whole new kid. Like, yeah. She's like bursted out of her shell. Um, during her chemo, maybe like the first, I don't know, 20, 20 weeks, like two-thirds of it, she did not talk to anybody. Nobody. <laughs> you know, they would come in and ask, you know, how are you feeling? Are you having any pain She never, ever, ever responded, not a single time. 
And it and then as soon as they would leave, she would have these questions for me about what they had talked about and what was going on, you know. And there was this nurse practitioner who just cracked me up one day. We were talking, and Sarah listens to everything that's going on. And she went to leave. Well, she opened the door and shut it, but didn't actually walk out of the room. <laughs> and Sarah started like, blah, 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 until she caught sight of this woman. And she goes, hey. <laughs> but then towards the end of her chemo, it actually was um, something that really helped her. And I don't know why it was different one place compared to another, between her rounds of chemo, she would get fevers, you know, with no immune system and two kids at school, germs, you know, the slightest germ. She would have these fevers. And so we would have to go to Riverbend, our local hospital, where she would be, you know, admitted and then there until her white blood cell counts came up to a certain level. And the child life specialist that they have there and the pediatric nurses that are there, there's just a different feel to it because it's not a cancer ward, you know? Not that they're not busy, but the nurses at Dornbecker uh, tend to be more serious, but they have really, you know, life-threatening things happening all the time. And at Dornbecker, there was this handful of nurses who just had a way with her and she really came out of her shell. She started talking to people or even just giving one word answers was a big deal. Mm. Mm. Sweet girl. And then just slowly over time, she has just turned into this talkative, chatty kid who loves making friends and which was so different before she would just really cling to Emmy if they were, you know, like at the library or at the park. And then I tried taking her places where Emmy was not going to be. Like I would take just Sarah and Mary to the library and then kind of coach her about, you know, my name is Sarah. Do you want to play with me? You know, kind of conversations. I don't know if that helped or not, but I see her and hear her do that. Or or she's more responsive to other kids that come up to her and ask her the same question. So are you seeing that with like kindergarten then? Has kindergarten been going like? Kindergarten has been going really, oh, really good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even before she had cancer, Sarah had told us that she was not going to go to kindergarten. <laughs> she was not ready. And so the timing couldn't have been better because she wouldn't have been able to go to kindergarten anyway with all of the health stuff that mm-hmm. she had going on. And she did finally tell me that she was too nervous to meet all of those new people to go to kindergarten. She has clearly gotten over that. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Mary, now Mary's taken that spot, though. But only like in Mm -hmm. public, because if Mary gets dropped off at my house... She's going to talk to me until my ears are falling off. Like, And she's going to be like, let's go see the fish. Let's go jump in. Let's go throw rocks. And it was like constant, like, go, 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 go. But at church, she won't even like give me the time of day. Like, I'll talk to her <laughs> and she'll, she'll, she'll just give me, oh, yeah, she'll yeah. give me the side eye. The side eye. Yeah. Her side eye for sure. Like, she'll oh talk gosh. to Brooke. Everybody <laughs> talks to Brooke. <laughs> uh, Mary is Miss Confidence. She is so funny. The things that she will you know, tell you that in her mind are correct. Like, for example, she picked up some chapstick the other day and she says, oh, this is Bethany mine. 
<laughs> and I said, do you mean definitely? And she didn't bat an eye. And she says, yeah, Bethany, like Bethany. <laughs> I, yeah, we should start a trend, honestly, saying that. It sounds better that way. Bethany. Bethany. Yeah, actually, there's a really good chance of that hitting as a trend. But um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things she said. I mean, what about the don't say water? Remember that? <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. (laughs) We still use it on our house. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, she would walk up to us as as parents and she would just, you know, take a toy that she wanted that our kids were playing with and she'd just grab it and say, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) I love the confidence that girl. I, I wanted to go back a bit because, you know, you you mentioned those moments where, like, you don't always keep it together. You don't go through something like you guys did and, and just keep your composure. Cause, and it's probably not even healthy to do that, to be honest. What did you use to draw on for strength in those times where it was most challenging? Um, a lot of that came from talking with Kirk every day. Uh, Kirk would, you know, give me the rundown about what the kids are doing and how his day was, things like that. And there were times when I really didn't have anything else to add to the conversation. (laughs) And he'd be like, well, okay, I'm going to go then. (laughs) (laughs) But even just knowing that he was there and, you know, being something so stable for our kids at home, that was helpful. Being at Dornbecker really put it into perspective when I saw other moms there with with kids that weren't going to come home. Or you would see moms that were still, you know, changing diapers or they were still using a high chair to have to feed their kids. Or you would see teenagers trying to do online school in this little library room that they had set up. Sarah was at this perfect age where she didn't really grasp how serious things were. She wasn't missing school yet, and she was pretty self-sufficient. I could bring her a meal, and she could eat it by herself. She could go to the bathroom by herself. I just had to help her, you know, unplug her IV pump and wheel that, you know, into the bathroom with her. There are lots of hard days, though, where... You don't really think, why me? But you certainly think, how are we going to get through another week of this? And there were times when you just feel low and you feel like you are a burden to so many people. And I would feel, even on days when I didn't pray or ask for help specifically, I knew that I was being watched over. I had a Heavenly Father who I always felt was there. I had this ward family and people near and far who were praying for our family. And those prayers become tangible. And unless you have really experienced that, it's hard to explain, but it is really like this uplifting feeling where you know that you are doing more than you can do on your own. So how would you say, like along those same lines, what changes did you see like in your testimony during that time? Did it challenge your testimony? Did it build it? A little bit of both. Um, It didn't challenge my testimony. I mean, it certainly increased my testimony that I was very individual 
to my heavenly father that he knew exactly what I needed, even if I wasn't asking for help. Kind of like you preemptively know what one of your kids is going to want or need given a certain situation. It definitely um, was humbling, needing so much help from people. And I would have times like with unexpected days at Riverbend when we should have been home, but ended up, you know, being gone for this unexpected, you know, five days, six days, seven days, whatever it was. And I would need people to help take care of my kids. And I would offer up a prayer that I would know who to ask to take care of my kids. And a name would come to mind. And I would think, I have asked them for help so many times. But I would ask, and without a doubt, the answer was yes, every single time. So not having to go through this list of, can you watch them this day? Nope, you're not available. Can somebody else watch them this day? You know, just having that one and done for me as a parent was something that really made me feel loved. Yeah, that's that's huge. Like I um went on a field trip with Milo this last week and I had to ask I had somebody lined up and then they were not able to do it and then I had to find someone else like with a very short notice. And I could got, have not gone on the field trip, but even just like from that one instance of like 3 hours of babysitting the guilt of like, oh, I'm going to ask somebody and they're going to give three hours of their day last minute to watch my other kids so I can go on the field trip. So I can't imagine like having to do that for 30 weeks and then the extra weeks when Sarah was at Riverbend instead of just that. That's like one where I'm like, oh, wow. So to hear that like you had that. I had help. Yeah. I had a lot of help. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that those are the moments where you just, you feel that spark inside, like that warmth of like how good God really is. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I was just thinking while you were talking about, you know, God knowing you individually and what you need. I, I just been going through this book I really like so far called Original Grace. Maybe you guys have read it already, but the the whole idea is they they explain what grace really is. And and we you know, we we think of the law of justice, right, as far as, you know, what's expected of us and how they explain in the book, which I love and I love the framework it's kind of giving me is you know, grace, the question of grace is what is needed, you know, and, you know, you just think of our Heavenly Father looking down on us, not what do I require of this person, but what it, what did they need from me to help them to achieve what I want for them? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty cool. I, I just love thinking of it that way. I think some of my, my biggest testimony building times when, are, are those times when you feel seen. You know, when when you feel like God sees you in that moment and and they could be silly, right? Like I don't even remember one time I was just like really upset and I went and sat in my car and just cried because <laughs> like I had nowhere <laughs> else to go or I could be by myself because there was just a lot happening in the house. And I just sat in my car outside on the driveway and just cried. And I remember sending up a prayer and I was like, I just don't feel like anybody cares. And it's just that that overwhelming feeling of just he sees me. And he's like, I see you. And it doesn't really matter 
if anybody else sees you in that moment, because he sees you. So I kind of, I feel those moments too. Like those are the the big testimony builders. And I like those. Yeah. They're good to remember. <laughs> I had one of those in my closet. <laughs> I feel the car place. Car's a good spot. I'll have to try that next time. The though. bathroom is not. It has no, to be a not. big no, closet. It's like a yeah. magnet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The bathroom is a magnet. As soon as you hit the magnet, every kid in the house needs you. They really do know. Yeah, the kids. And if you have a dog, the dog knows. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's not a safe space. Uh, mine is in my car in the parking lot at Dairy Mart while I drink my diet soda. <laughs> Love that. Nice. Love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> takes as long as it takes, guys. That's right. <laughs> I've been known to hide a Dairy Mart, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a safe space. It's a good lunch break place for me, yeah. Yeah, I've had people point out, like, I saw you parked at Dairy Mart. What were you doing there? And like, don't worry about it, man. I was having a moment. Like I was regrouping. Some stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I wanted to – we could definitely move on, guys. I, I, I did have one more question about the experience with Make-A-Wish. And actually, can we, like, coerce – Kirk to come on the show again too and like give a part two episode but that's a whole separate episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so special yeah, yeah the make a wish yeah make let's wish. let's let's yeah. save that for later let's do that but um what other topics did you guys want to get to let's just go back to Hillary and, and I know you had a few other things you wanted to ask about yeah let me um so it- confirm Kirk part two by the way Kirk and Mona coming on the show <laughs> Less um, less tears in that episode. Okay, it's yeah, a happy right. one. Sorry, Are you kidding, man? <laughs> I said less, not yeah. none. Okay, none. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> um, so you talked about being um, a Miami-made advisor shortly after you guys got married. Um, and I feel like that would have been such a fun calling. But in addition to that, you also talked about how you learned a lot about following promptings um, from the Spirit. And I wondered if you could explain kind of how did that come about? It was a very, very small group of young women in Fifth Ward at the time. I'm like maybe 10, Mm. which is kind of like average numbers, it seems like. But, (laughs) you know, compared to what I knew from the family ward that I had been at, it was very small. And I was asked to teach these girls, 14 and 15 year olds, and there were only two of them. And so when it's one silent leader who you feel like is critiquing everything that you say, they're not totally because they didn't have to make a lesson and they were glad. (laughs) They were happy just to be sitting. And then you have uh, these two girls who were very, very quiet by nature already. They were not participators. You know, it was just like... And this was still when we had, you know, three-hour church blocks. Lessons were long, Mm. you know. So you're in there at the end of three hours. They're kind of like tuned in but not, you know. (laughs) And, you know, looking back on it, I hope that those two girls knew how important it was that they got to be in a class by themselves and not just grouped with the beehives, you know, the 12 and 13 year olds or with the older girls who were 
16, 17, you know, 18. There is such a different need that those girls had at 14 and 15 years old compared to those two groups, even though they're part of this larger, you know, cohort that all goes together. And so I would prepare these lessons. And with the lesson manual, the way that it was, you had a topic, but you didn't have a really clear outline like there used to be, Mm -hmm. like when we were youth, it was like, you teach this, and then you teach this, and then you ask this question, and then you follow up with this one, you know, Mm -hmm. that was done. You know, I just had this (laughs) very loose uh, instruction manual as far as, you know, what I was going to be talking about. And so I would prepare a lesson, and I would you know, pray. And I felt like I had been guided by the Spirit as I was preparing this lesson and I would get there. And it's like the needs of those girls had changed in the couple days since I had prepared that lesson. And so the direction that I would go was something totally different and not on the paper in front of me for the words that would come out of my mouth. Or you would look at a scripture and interpret that totally differently than you had even a couple days prior with how that applied to their life as a 14-year-old. So that was eye-opening to me that, you know, I can be prepared, but there's still going to be these other things that are going to come up or make things better. Yeah. It was really cool. I feel like that's such a an important lesson to learn and really cool that you were able to learn that lesson. You said it was like shortly after you guys got married. And I feel like I remember trying to teach lessons to the young women around that same time too in my life. And I don't think I ever (laughs) figured it out quite like you did. And so it's really cool that you're blessed to be able to figure out how to let the lesson go where they needed it to go. So that's really cool. I love that. Would you would you say that so my maids was like one of your favorite callings then? You, would you go back and do it again? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Only because primary is way more fun. You know, yeah. I oh feel like gosh, these kids yeah. are still kind of moldable. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love primary. It is it is hard sometimes to followed the spirit for a variety of reasons but one of them with a lesson I, I don't know maybe I'm actually curious your thoughts too Tina on this because you you prepared regularly for seminary obviously but and sometimes I plan a lesson or a talk and I'm like this is a good talk or a good lesson and it's like we're gonna stick to this <laughs> and <laughs> and then you you get in and you're like the kids don't need this right now <laughs> and you're like well dang it man I guess I have a backup sometime, but now I got to like go from scratch. I spent all this time. How do you deal with that? Or like that's the lesson that totally flops. It's like the one that you're like, this is going to be the best. I had this awesome idea and you set it up and you get in class and it just like doesn't hit. Like (laughs) the kids just are like, I don't know what you're talking about, Sister (laughs) Marchant, like glazed over. And you're like, okay, how do I shift gears from there? Because there are those lessons where it's just like. I'm saying stuff, but I just feel like I'm tripping over myself the whole time. And I know those are the lessons where, like, I'm not saying what I'm supposed to be saying. We're not talking about what they need to hear that day. Um, And it's hard to switch gears right in the middle. 
Um, usually I can do it with a question and I'll throw a question out because then their responses actually get at what they need. And then we can kind of switch from there. But yeah, there's some days when I feel myself forcing that lesson. Like, no, we're going to hit that slide because dang it, I worked three hours on this thing. And and if you could see it at my level, like I'm so spiritual today. (laughs) uh, But yeah, sometimes it just doesn't, it doesn't work sometimes. But it's it's really cool to feel that switch though when when you do hit on something or like you did prepare a really good lesson and it was going fine but then they ask something or they make a comment and it just like it goes over here you know and but to feel that switch and the kids like they brighten up and they're like oh I have a lot to say and when they start contributing more than I'm contributing that's when I know we're hitting that sweet spot yeah I find particularly with the youth once they start asking questions and then teaching each other it's like okay we found it yeah today and you know whatever lesson i had can be reused later yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah we'll save that put that in your pocket yeah. <laughs> um, what else did you want to talk about tina um well there's always my favorite question there's a question that's uh, if you could redo anything in your life what would you redo that's always my favorite uh in the uh the pre-answer I gave was that I would push my I would push myself harder, and I will explain that more. When I was growing up, school was something that came very easily to me, and so I was always told that I was smart. When really it was just something that I didn't have to try at, but it was something that got me a lot of praise. So I would not do something. If I didn't think that someone would say, oh, you're so smart Mm. to have done that. I did not push myself in sports. I did not push myself in harder classes. And I, I missed out on a lot. You know, I was terrified forever to go to a, a group fitness class. (laughs) Which is I feel silly. That. I, feel that. I know it's just yeah, one of those no. things that I don't know. That was just something that stuck with me that you're not going to be good at it. So you shouldn't do it. When really I went to this class with Corinne Bell, I don't know, last month or something. And I was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt so good when I was done. And I was proud of myself for doing something totally 100% outside of my comfort zone and to and I wanted to go back you know so I tried something new and it was a positive experience it was good and I think how many of those did I miss out on mm-hmm. I 100% feel that in that exercise yeah. class I'm like I always get stuck in the front because people don't want to like set up in the front and I don't know why I take so long to set up my stuff but I do and then I always get stuck in the front and I always feel like I'm the one that everybody's like she's not getting this <laughs> and was, so like I'm not very coordinated that way. So I feel that uh, like every time I go to her class, I'm always like fighting myself. Like I don't really want to go there because I feel like it would be really embarrassing. When I was a kid, I didn't I didn't want to play video games with people <clears throat> because I didn't want them to watch me and I didn't want them to see me fail. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really hard feeling to get over. Like mm-hmm. I still am like working on that, right? So like I go to Corinne's class because like you mm-hmm. said, like I feel better when I'm done. I feel better about myself, but like it's always that buildup beforehand. And the temple was really hard for me for a long time. Same same reason, like I feel like I'm gonna mess up and somebody's gonna see me mess up and I'm not gonna do it right. And the 
the moment when I had um, friends take me to the temple instead of like Alan. So like going with Alan is really hard for me because I care, you know, I care what he thinks. And that's all, everything I put on myself. It's not, it's not from him. He doesn't, he doesn't put that on me. But um, the first time I went with just friends, it was like, oh, that's not what this is about. <laughs> like, I need to leave that at home. That's not yeah. like, why am I putting that on myself and like that turnaround for the temple? So like, I get what you're saying. Like, you just want to, sometimes you have to push yourself past that, that, that block. I think I was listening to Will Smith one time. So weird, but he was giving this talk about skydiving and like he didn't want to go skydiving. Yeah. Do you remember this? Have you heard it? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. He goes that minute, that moment when we can push past the fear. That's when we start living. And I was like, oh, that's really good. Yeah, I, I just, man, I can relate on so many things you're talking about, and I'm recently recovering from this too. And I, I think it goes to like this concept of we all have this story we've told ourselves about who we are for years. And it usually did start with a parent or some sort of authority figure that said we are blank, right? And then we just kept telling ourselves the story. And I sometimes I'd like to even start a class in church or whatever and just say like, what stories are we telling ourselves right now? And can we just let those go, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, I think it's like totally a part of taking the next step of leveling up or whatever you want to call it in our progression is, is letting that story go and doing the best we can with what's left. And I, I think that's hard too. like thinking about this from like a parenting perspective, like you want to tell your kid like, hey, you're smart. But like, as you just shared, like that can also be a little bit of a roadblock instead of a something to like build them up. You know, so just being more mindful about the things that we talk to our kids about, like, you know, you did a good job working hard today or like things right, like that. You praise the more, effort. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so hard sometimes to be like, you know, see your daughter and be like, oh, you look so beautiful today. And like, you know, and, and that's not a bad thing to say. I'm not saying that it's bad, but just finding ways to praise the effort instead of just the the things they can't change, the things that they can't. Yeah, that they can't work on themselves. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I like that a lot. That's a great story. Or like talking them through their comfort zone. Because like, <laughs> right? like, like yeah. trying to help them expand what that comfort zone looks like. Yeah, um, a little push. Yeah, some of my kids are really yeah. interesting. Like Emma, she will not play basketball. We had this discussion last night. She was, mm -hmm. she will not. She plays soccer. That's what she told me. She's like, mom, I play soccer. And I'm like, but you're good at football and you're good at other things. Like, why wouldn't you want to try? But she's like, I don't play basketball. You know, so that is like, that's her comfort zone. But trying to talk her through it and be like, well, you never know. Like, maybe you want to try something. And then Naya, who has decided in middle school, this is what she wants to do is expand that comfort zone. And it's really, really hard for her. She's very internal. Um, but she has expanded her comfort zone so huge. And she's trying new sports. And she's talking to people in the hallways. And she's leading things in young women's. And just like crazy stuff that in elementary school, no, like that would not be possible for her. So like watching her expand her own comfort zone is really cool. And like a really good example to me too. Like I need to expand out my comfort zone. So what are you guys doing to expand your comfort zone? Mona or anybody? Like what's yeah, the next Mona. step in that? <clears throat> Coming on the podcast. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yes, I have been like nervous and anxious about being here all week long thinking about being on the spot. That is 
very outside of my comfort zone, Mr. <laughs> Easter. Uh, we tried to make it as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> there are certain things that I don't like to do. Like, I don't like heights. That is something for me that makes me very uncomfortable. But my father-in-law has this amazing zip line in the woods up by the treehouse. And my daughter, Sarah, since as long as it's been there, has been absolutely terrified to do this zip line. And she knows that I didn't really want to do it either. <laughs> but I did that to show her, you know, that you can do things, even if you only do it one time, you still tried it. Have I done that zipline a second time? Absolutely not. It is not something that I ever, ever want to have to do again. (laughs) That's so funny. That's funny. I feel like um, a couple years ago, we went to the river with um, Tina. And I think during that time, I was just like, Mm -hmm. I am going to just, I'm going to have to just jump off the rock into the water, (laughs) even though I too do not like heights. But I saw all the kids and I was like having a little... FOMO. <laughs> and I I also saw my kids, one of them being very brave and the other one just being kind of hesitant to jump. And so I was just like, you know what, Camille, you got to just do it. And you know, you'll feel better once you do it because you've got that confidence that you did something you didn't want to do. And so I jumped off the rock. And I think I did it twice <laughs> yeah. because I wanted like a cool slow-mo picture of it or a video of it too, like that second time. But yeah, it does, it gives you that boost of confidence. Like I can do something hard and I can, I can let all that go if my kids can see me do something hard as well. Like uh, skiing with us this year? (laughs) Um, Stop it. (laughs) So one thing at a time. Okay. She jumped off the rock. Last year for me was snowboarding and, you know, I had sucked at snowboarding for like years and years and I finally decided to just take the plunge and and work on it and that that was hard man if you have a story where you're telling yourself you're good at everything you try and then you're not it's like that's kind of that that challenges a lot of you know your core beliefs right but you know got through that definitely competent at snowboarding now I think the tough one for me now is and Owen's listening here so is engaging in the stuff that the kids like. So Owen's really into Rubik's Cubes and chess. To be honest, that's going to be tough for me to get into because (laughs) I have this story where I've told myself I'm the smart kid. But the second I start trying to play Owen at chess, he beats me in like three or four moves. (laughs) And that's going to be a tough one, but it's important to him. And I think it's important to me to kind of let some of that story go too. He'll remember Yes, that he beat you, but also that you spent time with him, yep. you know, that you took the time to do something that you were going to be bad at. Yep. <laughs> what about what about you guys? Any Anything that what's your next step in, in being comfortably uncomfortable? So I'm over here. I'm like, I, I can't even think of a, <laughs> of a time yeah. recently where I have stepped out of my comfort zone, except for this is like so small. But we went to the Taylor Swift movie, which I know you're so sad. That is not small. That is <laughs> so that sad. would be so uncomfortable. What are you- but yeah, so the first couple of songs, everyone's just kind of sitting there, just kind of like, you know, bobbing like we were in, sitting their in our seats. Yeah. And then eventually, sweet Perla and Lexi DeLuna, they came running down the aisle. They're like, get up. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, okay. And the rest of the time, well, the most of the rest of the time we were up and, and I do not like dancing in front of people. And I kept telling myself, it's dark. They can't see me. <laughs> and then someone made a comment after about, oh, yeah, like, I don't think so-and-so. I've never seen you dance. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they totally saw me. But whatever. <laughs> it's over. It's done. <laughs> that is not a small but- <laughs> thing. Like, I, I heard about how people were viewing that movie and I was like, nope. <laughs> It was truly so much fun. Like, it would have been less fun to have sat in the chair the whole time. 100%. It would have been less fun. But it was, it took so long for me to feel like, okay, I can get up. So, yeah. Yeah. We we talked about Taylor Swift today, too. That was chick. (laughs) Sorry. Mm. We'll we'll skip over that quickly because I know how much you love Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's so many things. Um, I you. Way to go. Like, it's like an everyday thing for me, actually, because I teach seminary. Well, people think that teaching is easy for me because I do it, but it's not. It's it's hard for me every day. Um, honestly, like I will go home and change my shirt every day. Like there's that much stress <laughs> yeah. going on every time I teach. I do that with singing time. It's for yeah. real. It's a thing. <laughs> Um, and like working at girls camp, I have to get up in front of the girls sometimes and be really silly and yeah. I want that to be me, but that's not comfortable for me. So I fake it a lot. Um, I think that that's one thing my my training in school taught me how to do is like to get up in front of people and not let them know that you're super nervous or not let them know that that you don't really want to be standing in front of them because that <laughs> kind of takes your credibility away. Yeah. Um, so uh, Kelly Stockford used to say it all the time, but you just fake it till you make it. And like that's so that's something that I work on daily. Um, and in some ways it has become more comfortable. I really, um, when I'm done teaching, I get like this energy boost from it, um, which is weird for me because I'm an introvert. So mm-hmm. like getting that boost from that kind of activity is, is weird. And, um, yeah. so yeah, so that's, I think getting outside my comfort zone is anytime I'm in front of people, like, um, today in fifth Sunday, Kirsten wanted to do some skits and she needed volunteers and I was sitting in the front row. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll volunteer. And she goes, I knew you would help me. And I'm like, how did you know that? Cause I didn't know that. Like I was pretty, pretty ready to just sit there. I just there found that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I keep like wanting to tell myself like, this is the person I want to be. I want to yeah. be that person that volunteers for things. I want to be more comfortable in front of people. So I kind of force myself to do it yeah. a lot. Cool. Well, what else did we want to talk about today? What else did you have written down there, Tina? We covered a lot of stuff. We did cover it. And we clarified that there's a part two episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I wanted to (laughs) – I was just laughing through some of Mona's answers, but so there's a section that talks about areas of expertise, and and Mona put that she's trying not to sell her kids to the gypsies. I would first like to know where the gypsies are so that I have that (laughs) in my back pocket for later. At least Um, as a threat, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're going to use it, but – So if you have it in there, you're going to hook me up. But I could any time. Yeah. But I wanted to talk maybe a little bit about um, parenting because she said one of her areas of expertise was mediocre parenting. And and I think we all kind of feel that way. Like we don't feel like we're perfect parents in any way. But um, what what is kind of some of the things that you look to to maybe improve on that or or to feel good about, you know, what you're doing with your kids? You know, I look at the examples of families around me, whether they are members of our church or not. I look at what works because there are so many things often that come up with kids in your own family where it's like okay what i'm doing is not working 
yeah. how do, yep. how do I fix this? You know, and you can, um, you know, pray specifically for each of your kids. And something that I did one year that I definitely need to get back in the habit of, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, is I would, uh, I was reading like one chapter at a time, but praying, or in the Book of Mormon I was reading, and I would pray beforehand the first time, please help me to know how I can better parent Michael or what he needs to know about this. And I would read through a chapter and I would get these insights about this is helpful or this is helpful, you know, and then I would go back and I would read it a second time and I would pray, please help me to know how this can help Emmy. And it would be something totally different. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it's like you read those same words, but it's something radically different that you're actually interpreting in that time. That's really that. cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I mean, me. it's time consuming. And so there was another question, you know, on this interview stuff about if I had more time, what would I do? And it would be, you know, a more detailed scripture study. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. I was literally in bed last night trying to fall asleep. And it was a rare night where, like, everybody was asleep and Justin was gone. So I could have just gone to sleep. And my mind was just, like, racing. And I was like, oh, do you know what? I didn't read my scriptures yet. This is, like, a perfect time to read my scriptures. There's nobody, like, begging me to do anything. And then, of course, I got, like, halfway through a chapter and fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, like, but it's so hard. It's so hard to, like, find time. And even on a Saturday when it's, you know, you don't have the regular schedule, like, it should have been hypothetically easier for me to find time to do that and it wasn't the uninterrupted time is what's hard you know like i find like little pockets of time where like i find myself you know i'll I'll pick up my kindle and read my my book because it's easier to follow you know i don't have to have as much focus with it versus trying to pick up the scriptures and really interpret what's there and how it can help me and bless my family. I think, yeah, that's an important concept, honestly, is like time confetti, you know, is what we call it sometimes, where it's just like tiny little pockets of time that we usually waste on our phone or something like that. I don't know, man, like I sucked at time confetti in the past, but, you know, the calling I have and the job I have right now has kind of forced me into a lane where I have to like squeeze out every single minute of the day. And so I've kind of learned that if you plan what your agenda is for those little unexpected pockets of time, you can benefit a lot too in your scripture study and other things like that. So I wanted to ask you, you said the most interesting thing you're learning about is primary. (laughs) And I also feel that way. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Uh, There's lots of behind the scenes (laughs) stuff that you don't know about until (laughs) you are part of it. Yeah. And you look at... Um, Primary is kind of a black box for us, too. Like, <laughs> we don't really know what you guys do in there. <laughs> there are, you know, just like being a mom, there's all of these different needs that we look at for the different ages of the kids. What teacher is best going to meet the needs of four-year-olds? Who's going to be a good fit to teach eight-year-olds? Who's going to be a good fit to teach kids that are about to finish primary and go into a youth program? Who's going to help teach them those skills 
who's going to help them interpret the same set of scriptures into ways that are going to help those kids. So you're constantly looking at how can we improve on that? How can we implement these things that will bless these kids? You know, there's all these things, you know, that I had no concept of Mm -hmm. before. (laughs) Well, and then there's just like the logistics too, right? Like, oh, hey, it's the primary program. And oh, hey, there's supposed to be a temple and priesthood preparation meeting. And, you know, all the, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like one fire at a time. (laughs) That one's out. (laughs) Another one is started. (laughs) Primary is the best, though. Primary is the best. Yeah. I I loved young women's, but now being in primary, it's like, oh, this is it. I'll pass. <laughs> just, put, just put that out there. You can see in young women. Which is so funny because, I mean, I have my degree in elementary education. So it's, yeah. I spent a lot of time at primary. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's funny. And now that I've been moved to the youth, I'm like, oh, don't, don't put me back there. <laughs> I'm so glad there's people like you for my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need caring people. It's not me. <laughs> and I bet that will change, though, for both Hillary and I. That's As our point. kids get older, yeah. you know, we'll feel more comfortable being in a more, you know, leadership position of, of our kids. kids. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. they age. Or or maybe never. Like, I, th- I think there really are things <laughs> that, like, just attract certain types of people, you know. And um, I thought that it was elementary ed for me. But working in that situation, like, I actually found the older kids. So I think if I was in the schools, I probably would have transitioned to a middle school or a high school. Um, I just, mm. I think I identify better in that area. But, you know, things you didn't know when you were younger. And so if you're finding that, like, this is your spot, like, I think that's awesome. Like. Really feeling that for the kids is that's really cool because I was in primary for a long time and I love being there and the kids were great but I don't think I felt the way about that as I do about working with teenagers so I think that you just kind of sometimes you just fall into those things and they become they become your thing you know <laughs> yeah that's a good point so this is like on a different lane but I have been thinking a lot about like our conversation about like Sarah and all those challenges and stuff. So I'm sure that with that, there's obviously your own mental health challenges, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that being said, what do you have like a go-to coping mechanism that, or something that like can just like, you know, you can do this every time and it'll just help everything not to feel like you're about to explode. You know, my my life felt heavy for a long time, and I got to a point where I didn't want my kids to see me really upset. And so, you know, in a family with six people, you do a lot of laundry, and I would go outside and I would cry to, like at my washing machine every single time <laughs> that I went out there. <laughs> And I got to a point where it was like, you know what? This is not going to get any better for a long time, and I need to go and talk to my doctor about stuff, Mm. which was hard. You know, you feel like you're swallowing a whole bunch of pride that you can't do it by yourself, but it's like, you know what? You got a lot of stuff going on. You don't have to do it by yourself. Mm. So for me, that was helpful to reach out, which is one of those things that is also way outside of my comfort zone. Mm asking for help for myself, you know, oh, yeah. and when for it's your for your kids, it's like, I will do this. I will yeah. do this for you. Anything yeah. you need. And for yourself, you know, as a mom, you just kind of push that to the back burner and think yeah. I'll get to it. 100%. But yeah. if you can't be a good parent because you can't take care of yourself very well, then. 
Yeah. You got to change something. I think yeah. that's that's so true, though. Like I, I brought this up last episode is we're stewards over ourselves and our bodies, too, you know. And and if we I mean, if we took care of our bodies and ourselves as good as we took care of like our cars or anything else, like we would realize that we need an oil change. We would realize that we need a break. <laughs> right. Um, but we don't. A lot of the time we, we feel like we need to push it to the limit. And, you know, I, I think you're totally dead on. It's like the asking for help is not just for you. It's it's so you can be a good mom. So you can be like, a, a you know, do the things that you need to and, and bring your full self to it. Well, Tina, you want to get into anything else? Or I, I have a lot of check marks. I think we covered a lot of stuff here today, but favorite color? Oh, yeah. You're very particular about the shade of purple. That's true. I remember this. So explain what kind of a purple this is that is your favorite color. What did I say exactly? Oh, light purple. I gravitate towards things that tend to be more soft color-wise. I don't like neon colors i don't like oh, big yeah. bold things for me they don't really bring me peace at all in my mind they make me feel kind of scattered mm -hmm. and like i can't control things so light purple it is yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like that is so cool that you recognize that i am just learning this about myself recently but how mm. much colors and then just the amount of things in like a mm -hmm. in a space or even in like a painting it changes how you feel. And and for some people, and it's different for everybody, right? Like you've talked about like light purple being like that's a comforting color for you. And for me, I really love like white. Like white to me, it's like, yo, oh, white. <laughs> it's yeah. the go-to. I didn't yeah. know that about myself until living in a house with all yellow brown walls. So, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's interesting. That's really cool though that you. I think, no, I can relate to that too. Camille taught me about that because we had like, I, I don't even know what you'd call the like shade. A deep red. I was going to say like a burgundy. It felt yeah. like a smoking lounge or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, that wine color. Yeah, but I yes. never like identified it until she was like, dude, we need to lighten this place up. And I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> We're wasting our time. But, you know, now it's like so much lighter and. Yeah, I think color impacts us, and and yeah, I think it it really does. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Like I was thinking about, um, because Andrew asked me to do his senior pictures last week, so I'm I'm developing his pictures, and and I like really bright colors. Like I want all my pictures to have really bright and kind of sharp lines, and um, some like some deep blacks, and then bright colors, and really saturated pictures. And then I was, I was looking at somebody else's pictures. Like um, if you've seen Brandon DeLuna's pictures, he does really soft, very muted pictures. Um, and just how it's, that's really interesting. And I was thinking about like, I, what does that say about me? Like, <laughs> Because I, I do, like you have to pick a style when you're doing photography and that, that's the one I always gravitate towards. And I, I went to Andrew, I said, you know, do you like this? Is it too much? You know, like, is it too bright for you? He goes, no, I like it. And I was like, okay. I think I like it better than he likes it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But yeah, that's kind of interesting to think about like why do people gravitate towards certain yeah. certain feels? I, I think I need a little extra push to be a little brighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get outside your comfort zone again, right? Just solving the mysteries of life here. <laughs> Trying to at least. Well, let's let's do the last question. Uh like we clarified, Mona's coming back anyway, so it's good. <laughs> I don't. You haven't actually agreed to this yet. 
but but you just got the Mary it's side been suggested. Right yeah, it's been suggested. You'll take it into consideration. All right. Fair enough. We end every show with the same question and it is how has your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints helped you to better connect with the Savior? I look at all of the good things that the church has to offer, and then I think this is something my brother has said, where else are you going to find all of those things? Everything that answers every question for me personally, something where I have no doubt about the power of the atonement and how much my Heavenly Father loves me. I get answers to those things through my membership of our church. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Connection Podcast as much as we did. Mona is somebody that we've been looking forward to getting on the show for a long time. So thank you again to her for coming on. And thank you, everybody who has either come on the show as a guest or a guest host. We really couldn't do this without you guys. And we also couldn't do it without the people that listen and share. So thank you for being part of this. I did tease at the beginning of the episode. We have a couple of new prizes coming out probably next month. We'll have to see. But the first one is going to be the the Yeti of Great Refreshment, which is a callback to a couple of episodes uh, from the last one with President Fuller and also Sean Stockford's episode. And then we have a new sticker coming out that we're happy to uh, release pretty soon too. We'll let you know more about that. Until next time, guys, take care. Mm-hmm.